What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com, that's patreon.com forward slash baldhead bible, and there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. It must have been a cold night. The night he began to bring to completion his plan to die. He could hear the cacophony of demonic voices rising to fever pitch all around him. I think he might even have seen Satan himself. Lucifer laughing, smirking, smiling. Where everyone else saw a beautiful garden, he saw a beckoning sorrow a coming suffering that he was helpless to avoid. It was his father's will for him to die, and he had to complete it. He knew that. But tonight, tonight it was too much for him to bear. And as he stood there, he felt alone, a soul-crushing loneliness. He was going to die alone separated from friends and family, but more importantly, forsaken by his father. And with that, he began to weep. Jesus was 100% man, but also 100% God. In theological terms, that is called the hypostatic union, In real terms, it means that Christ was tempted as we are, yet without sin. And I think today's snapshot from Jesus' life is one of those stories where you see the humanity of Jesus on full display. And it is a good reminder of what Christ went through and what he sacrificed to take your punishment, the punishment you deserved, he took it upon the cross. And that is what I want to look at today, to tell you the story of Jesus and what he went through in the Garden of Gethsemane, and in so doing, how he exhibited perfect faith and obedience to the will of the Father. See, after he had finished the Passover meal in the upper room with the disciples, Jesus set out to spend some time with his best friends. Knowing their deal that was about to come, he wanted to spend some last moments with his best friends, and he and his disciples would have left the upper room late in the evening. Some people think as late as 11 p.m. 
and they would have walked through the crowded city streets of Jerusalem. There might have been as many as two million people packed into Jerusalem. Two million people on top of people, crowded beyond belief. And so Jesus and his disciples, who wanted to get out, to get away from the crowds, to enjoy the time they had together, and they needed some space to breathe. So Jesus first headed out of the city and towards the Mount of Olives. And he was heading towards specifically a garden that was a favorite place for him and his disciples to get away from the heat of the city and the crowds. This was probably a garden that was owned by a wealthy disciple of Jesus. As many wealthy citizens of Jerusalem in Jesus' day, they had places like this, places outside of the city where they could get away and grow beautiful things, and in this case, even have a grove of olive trees and an olive press right in the middle of the garden. And so this wealthy disciple said, hey, Jesus, you can use this garden any time to get away, to preach, to think, to talk, to pray, to meditate on scripture. If you need a place, go use my garden. So Jesus and his disciples would have walked down one side of the Kidron Valley and then up the other side, and then they would have continued their ascent of the Mount of Olives because this garden is right there halfway up the Mount of Olives. It seems on this night, though, Jesus seems to have walked all the way to the top. And I think he walked all the way to the top of the Mount of Olives so he could look out on the city. And it was at the top of the mount where Jesus told his disciples another bombshell. See, earlier he had told them at the Last Supper that he was going to depart and leave them. And where he was going, they could not come. And now as he's looking out at the city, he could see Golgotha in the distance as he reflected on all that was about to happen. I wonder wonder if it was too much, if it felt overwhelming. Or maybe he heard his disciples talking and he realized they were all still so discouraged from the news that they had just heard about Jesus leaving them. Maybe he wanted to prepare them for even more bad news for what was about to come. And so he didn't just lay one bombshell. He actually laid two bombshells on them. One, your shepherd will be struck and you will all be scattered. And two... Peter will deny me three times. What? Our Lord will be killed and we're all going to wimp out and run? And Peter, our main man, Peter, our second in command, the man we look up to is going to deny Jesus? That can't be. That isn't right. This isn't right. This is terrible. The confusion and the anguish and the discouragement felt by all and especially by Peter. It must have been palpable. What a terrible way to end their last night together. So amidst all the confusion and the discussion and anger, Jesus leads his disciples, this discouraged, confused band of brothers, a little bit back down the mountain to that favorite spot, the Garden of Gethsemane. And by the way, Gethsemane means literally oil press. So that's why many people believe in the middle of this garden was somewhere where they would take the olives from the olive trees and then put them in this press and they would squeeze out beautiful fresh olive oil. Well, this garden probably in the middle had a grove of olive trees in the oil press and then the outside they had all these other trees and flowers and 
And there in particular, you could relax and find a nice spot to curl up in. And maybe tonight, you know, a disciple's thinking, we're going to get down there. And I'm discouraged. I'm just going to curl up and fall asleep. Or maybe another disciple thought, I need to talk. We need to spend some time together. I've got so much on my heart and mind. So I can imagine they're walking down the hill and Nathaniel pulls out a Frisbee and throws it at Simon the Zealot, who doesn't know what's coming, and bonk, oh, it hits him in the back of the head. And I mean, because who throws a Frisbee at night? And eventually Simon finds it and then throws it back. And by this time they're in the garden and a game breaks out. And some play that or some sit by a tree talking about Jesus and what he said about Peter. Maybe this disciple says, you know what, I always was a little suspicious of Peter. He did seem a little arrogant at times. Or or another disciple tries to sleep. While all this is going on, this discussion and talking and playing and, and just being together, Jesus becomes more and more troubled in spirit. The Bible says he becomes so troubled in spirit, it takes him even to the point of death. Can you imagine being that discouraged that you think you're going to die? So he needs to get away. To think, to have some solitude beyond this moment with his disciples. So he asks, Peter, James, and John, his inner three, his best, best friends, if they'd be willing to come with him to the inner part of the garden, to that olive oil press section. And there, Jesus wants to spend some time in prayer, and, and they could pray with him. Well, they agree, and... And, and then they tell the others that, hey, stay here and, and, and you guys, you know, sleep and talk. Well, the four of us, we're going to go talk and pray into that intersection. And that's what they did. And I think that as he looked at those trees, as Jesus saw the beauty of the night sky and the prettiness of the garden, that it all became too much for him. I wonder if he began to hear the cries of the demons around him rising to fever pitch. Beyond that beauty on the outside, he saw the supernatural underneath. And the demonic forces that were gathering to do their evil. And it was at that moment that I think Jesus had what I like to call his Garden of Gethsemane moment. And you know, if you've lived long enough, we've all had one, right? When the trial we are about to face, when that thing we have to go through, it just seems too overwhelming and too much. That's the Garden of Gethsemane moment. The look on the doctor's face that tells you, you're about to hear some terrible news. That's a Garden of Gethsemane moment. The look on your loved one's face as he gets off the phone and you know that someone precious to you has just suffered something terrible and that's a Garden of Gethsemane moment. The feeling you get when you're tired of all the medical treatments you have to endure and here you have to go through another one. 
It's a Garden of Gethsemane moment. The failure to find another job and the look on your wife's face when you have to tell her about another rejection letter. That's a Garden of Gethsemane moment. And like Jesus, you begin to weep. You begin to cry. You feel like you can't go on. You can't face the suffering that you have to face. And you just feel like you can't do it. And what was Jesus' response in his Garden of Gethsemane moment? He sought solitude. He needed to be alone. But at the same time, he also sought support. He needed his friends. He, He needed to get alone, to think, to meditate on scripture and to pray. But he also needed his best friends, Peter, James, and John. See, when you face times like these, your first inclination will be to run away and to hide, but you need support. You need the spiritual support of friends and mentors around you to encourage you. But I also think there's something else going on here. I think Jesus is also teaching. Notice that Jesus asked the disciples, Peter, James, and John, to pray with him. But then in the book of Luke, it says he moved about a stone's throw away, far enough to be alone, but close enough so that the disciples could hear what he was saying and doing. You see, because even in this moment of suffering, Jesus needed to teach. In the middle of one of his greatest moments of loss and suffering, he was thinking of his disciples to help them. To help them to understand what was about to happen and to help them to understand a way through it, how to handle suffering. And I think he was also thinking of his later disciples, of of people like you and me and other followers of Jesus through the years, to help us understand how to handle suffering and how to deal with moments of discouragement. And so Jesus went a stone's throw away and began to pray. Now, if you wonder what a prayer by Jesus sounded like, well, we catch a glimpse into the way he prayed in Hebrews 5, 7. For it says in Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. When Jesus prayed, he pleaded and he prayed with passion. And what did he pray at this moment? What did he ask of the Father at this moment? He simply asked this. Father, is there any way you could take this cup away from me? Please, do we have to do it this way? Please take this cup from me. See, Jesus knew that the cup of wrath was about to be poured out on him. The cup of wrath is used in the Old Testament to symbolize God's wrath against sin. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Habakkuk, all talk of a cup filled with the wrath of God. Jeremiah 25 verse 15 talks of a cup filled with the wine of wrath and Jesus knew he had to drink it. And it was going to be poured out on him And it was going to be terrible. So he pleaded and he begged for this cup of suffering and wrath to be taken away. You know, I don't think we understand the terrible cost that Jesus had to pay for our sins when 
that cup of God's wrath was poured out on him on the cross. We don't understand the pain he had to endure when he was separated from the Trinity. When Jesus later would cry out, why have you forsaken me? I don't think we can grasp the totality of Christ's suffering upon the cross, but Jesus knew what was to come, and Jesus knew the price he was about to pay, and it was so terrible that he asked God the Father to please take it away from him. So Jesus prayed, and he pleaded for God's mercy, and then he walked back to talk to his disciples. And he found him asleep. By this time, it's one or two in the morning, and the disciples are tired. But the book of Luke also says they are full of sorrow because of all the bad news and the sadness of losing Jesus. They'd probably been crying themselves to sleep. They are exhausted, but Jesus had asked them to stay awake. So he wakes them up. And then basically he tells them off for not staying awake. Could you not pray with me one hour? That's what Jesus says. Could you not pray with me one hour? Watch and pray, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, he encourages them to do two things in the middle of suffering. To watch, to be on guard, and, and then to pray. He wanted them to be spiritually awake. And when we face suffering, we need to be spiritually awake. We need to be in the Word. We need to have a fruitful devotional time with the Lord. And one thing that suffering does is it drives you into the Word of God. But these guys were asleep physically as well as spiritually. And Jesus says to them, wake up, be alert. And I just want to say in the middle of suffering... That is when you need to be spiritually awake because that is when Satan is going to attack you. When you're at your lowest spiritually, when you're discouraged, that is a moment for Satan to attack and you need to be spiritually awake. That's what Jesus is telling them. So Jesus goes back to pray a second time. And this time, his sorrow becomes even more intense. In fact, it says his physical suffering is so great that he began to sweat great drops of blood. There are times of such intense distress that people's capillaries on their face begin to burst. This is intense stress, and it's usually a life or death type of stress. You know, not the type of stress that you get when uh, you forgot you had a test today. You know, I'm not as prepared as I could be. Oh, no, that, not, not that type of stress, no. No, the type of stress that makes your capillaries burst is the type of stress that life and death, it could literally kill you if you don't survive this. You are life and death stressed. And in Luke, it got so bad, it says in Luke, that an angel had to come and help him and give him support to help him physically make it through it. I mean, he could have physically died without that supernatural help. This is terrible, what Jesus is going through physically. And so he stands up after he gets done praying a second time, and he comes back, and guess who's asleep? Our three amigos. 
And he wakes them up, and now you can imagine, whoa! They saw Jesus' face streaked with sweat and blood? That must have been scary beyond belief. Whoa, what's happening? And this time he stands them up, and Jesus singles out Peter. If anyone needs to wake up spiritually, it was Peter. And that is where Jesus says to Peter, be on guard. Watch, wake up, pray that you do not enter into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But the disciples and Peter did not listen and each time they fell back to sleep. But each time Jesus left them with the message to watch, to be spiritually awake. But then he would also add that they needed to pray to watch and pray. And that is the other thing. If we're going to make it through suffering, we need to be spiritually awake, but we need to pray, to seek God, to ask him for help. And Jesus modeled that by going to his Abba, his daddy, to plead and to pray. If Jesus prayed in his earthly ministry, man, then we must be doing it down here as well. We should be doing it. How much is prayer a part of your life? How much do you seek the Father in the face of suffering and despair and discouragement? We need to be praying. So Jesus goes back to pray, pleading with the Father, pleading with Abba to take this from him. I wonder if he heard silence. And I wonder how he must have looked when he finished that third prayer. His face covered in even more blood and more sweat and more tears. But the key for me in this whole scene, and I think the key to make it through any suffering you find, is found in the way Jesus ends each of his prayers. This phrase is the only way to make it through the heartache of a broken relationship. This phrase is the only way to make it through the pain of love loss, the pain of disappointment, the pain of physical torment, the suffering of deepest loss. And this is it. You must trust the heart of the Father. You must trust the heart of the Father. Notice how Jesus ends all of his prayers in the garden here. He ends it with this phrase, not my will but yours be done. Not my will, but thine be done. And you can only say that if you trust the heart of the Father. It's not just trusting in the sovereignty of God. You know, God will take care of me, he promises, and he'll watch over me. It'll be fine in the end. It's sort of like tax day. I have to pay my taxes and I'll pay it because the king's in authority over me and I have to pay my taxes. And we can treat God that way. And God's in authority. I'll obey him. I'll go through the steps. He's sovereign. No. Notice you must trust the heart of the father. It's not just trusting in the sovereignty of God. It's trusting that his is a good sovereignty a loving sovereignty. You have to trust that behind this veil of tears, there stands a smiling father who is passionate about you. And God has given us promise after promise that he is in love with you. And and even in suffering, when you're going through it, he has your best at heart. 
the classic verse, Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Jesus knew the heart of his father, and in that, he was able to trust his father, even though he saw the great suffering to come. And so, as we come to the end of the story, I want us to stop. And I just want us to remind ourselves of what a wonderful Savior we serve. And if you're facing suffering and going through some deep waters and you feel overwhelmed and you feel like you've met your Garden of Gethsemane moment, I want to leave you with these words from the Apostle Paul out of the New Living Translation. They're found in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And in these verses, Paul also reflects back on the wonders of our Savior. And when he thought back on the wonders of what Jesus did for him and for you and for me and for all of us who accept him as our Savior, when he reflects back on the salvation that God offers through his son Jesus, he exploded in this beautiful prayer. And if you are going through suffering right now, I want to leave you with this prayer. And I want to pray this over you. And I pray that in the middle of your struggle, that as you think about what Paul wrote about what Jesus is doing for you and for me, pray you find encouragement to keep on moving forward, to keep on going through suffering, and to trust the heart of the Father in the middle of it all. Paul writes this, and I pray this over you. May you be encouraged. Paul writes, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life.
new episodes added every week. Thank you.